In case you didn't know, I host another podcast called Love and Abuse, and it's all about how to navigate difficult relationships. What do you do or say when someone gives you the silent treatment? How do you respond to someone who turns everything back on you? I answer those questions and so much more on the Love and Abuse podcast. Head over to loveandabuse.com. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hey, this is Paul Coliani, and I want to help you learn the skills you need to deal with life's challenges in the most emotionally intelligent way. This show consists of my personal opinions and is meant for informational purposes only. Always seek a professional for your mental health and well-being. So glad that you are here once again, if you are a regular listener or if you just decided to tune in a second time to find out if um, what I'm sharing is valuable. (laughs) And if you are a regular listener, welcome back, like I said. And um, I'm going to get right to today's topic, which is an email that I received a long time ago. I just never had a chance to address it, and I'm not going to read you the whole thing. I'm just going to read you right near the end. This person had a uh, difficult childhood with a loveless father, I think, and um, they got into a few relationships that were very toxic, and now she's in a great relationship. At least I think she still is. I hope so. And um, she uh, told a white lie, and the, the lie was noticed by her partner and he said no you know don't lie and she felt awful and uh, he said okay it's no big deal just don't lie but she went in a downward spiral she just got anxious she became upset at herself and you know she hates liars she said in her email and um, she just went down this spiral like I said and She was crying, and in the email she said, I felt like the worst person in the world, and he got more upset that I was upset than the lie itself. And then she said, I need some help to be able to take things more with a grain of salt than I currently do. My close friends and family observe that I do take things a bit personally and make a bigger issue issue of things than necessary. I recognize this, and I wish I could stop punishing myself when I make mistakes. Do you have any advice for me? And uh, thanks in advance. Okay. So that is her dilemma. Thank you for writing and sharing all you did. I didn't read all of it on the air, but I'm so grateful that you shared this with me, and I apologize that it's been so long. A lot of people have written to me, and they just haven't gotten to their messages. But this one has been in there a while, and I wanted to get to it. And I do have opinions and insights on this. I don't know if they'll be perfect for you. They might be. But this is how I approach something like this. Uh, I look at this almost uh, in the same way as perfectionism. When you are a perfectionist, you will tend to beat yourself up if you don't do it, quote, right. I didn't do it right. I'm such an idiot. You know, you might say something like that, or you'll just feel bad, or like this person, they'll become upset 
They'll go in a downward spiral and cry and feel like the worst person in the world. So, yes, you're going to make mistakes, obviously. We all make mistakes. We will have accidents. We will perform less than stellar sometimes. And, yes, we might lie. And, yes, we might get caught. We could talk about a lie's intensity, how important, how impactful is that lie. Should you lie at all? That's another question. Is it immoral, unethical? I'm not going to really go over the ethics or the morality of lying. And this isn't really her, uh, the gist of her message today, but it started off with that. And she realized, you know, okay, I shouldn't lie. That's probably a good idea. Um, but when I do something like this, when I make a mistake or intentionally do something that is maybe deceptive, then I beat myself up and I shouldn't. I don't want to beat myself up. I don't want to take it so personally. So where I go with this is when I find myself taking things a little bit too personally, I just ask myself the very first simple question, why? <laughs> why am I taking this personally? And, you know, the, the answers are usually obvious because it hurts or I feel like an idiot. I, I'm taking it personally because I did it. That's an obvious answer to an obvious question. But then I will dig a little further. And if you've been listening a while, then you know I like to ask what I call stupid questions that lead to healing or in this case, that lead to some sort of resolution. I have an article on theoverwhelmedbrain.com called Stupid Questions That Lead to Healing that I think is um, excellent. <laughs> I think not because I wrote it, because I think is uh, perfect to help you drill down to the origin of a feeling or a thought about yourself. So if you have this feeling that you take things personally, or you know you take things personally, then you start questioning yourself and you drill down, what I call drill down, into your reasons for the way you are, into your beliefs. When you have a belief that you should beat yourself up, why do you have that belief? And uh, that article gives you all the drill down questions, but I'm going to maybe give you some now too as well read that article, first of all, this person who wrote, and um, also read my article called The Deception of Perfectionism, because when you think it's more important to be perfect than imperfect, uh, life doesn't go as planned. It, you'll disappoint yourself over and over again. In fact, the very first sentence in the article is, when you suffer from perfectionism based in fear, you become more and more miserable as time goes on. In fact, the more perfect and controlling you are, trying to control your life, trying to control your environment, other people, the more disappointed with life you get. And then I ask, does it make sense to be perfect? Is it actually more destructive than helpful? And then, of course, yes, it is more destructive than helpful to be a perfectionist. So I liken her message, her question to perfectionism. I'm not going to take her down that road either. She already beats herself up enough. <laughs> We're not going to take her down the road of, oh, you might be a perfectionist, so deal with that too. I just want to address the very specific question 
of uh, taking things personally and making a bigger issue than necessary. And um, she, she said she wishes she could stop punishing herself when she makes mistakes. So I'm just going to start with that one. She wants to stop punishing herself when she makes mistakes. Okay, let's get into a question mode. My first question for you, if you're the type of person that punishes yourself when you make mistakes, is, you know the question, <laughs> why? That's an obvious answer. I know this is why I call them stupid questions, but let's just go there. Why do you punish yourself? If I answered that question, okay, Paul, why are you punishing yourself? Well, my answer is I should have known better. I could have done better. I have the ability to do better, but I didn't. So I messed up. Okay, so my second question would be, well, why do you punish yourself when you mess up? And that's a question for you. Why do you punish, punish yourself when you mess up? Now I'm just going to drill down a little further and ask you, um, what is the purpose of punishing yourself? Which is similar to a why question, but what is the purpose of punishing yourself? What is your primary goal of punishing yourself? Answer that one. And also, what does a successful punishment look like? I'm kind of making these up, but this is where I would take you if you were one-on-one -on -one with me right now. What does a successful punishment look like? So that's a good question because um, you have to define what punishment is. Punishment to you might be um, negative self-talk, negative inner dialogue. Well, I beat myself up. I beat myself up by saying you're so stupid or, or similar things. Okay, if that's what it looks like, how do you know you have succeeded in punishing yourself. See, right now I'm asking you questions to define the structure of this equation of self-punishment. That may sound a little abstract right now, but hear me out. If we define the structure and give it some hard lines, hard boundaries on what it is, then we're less likely to go outside this structure or box that we're creating uh, of the definition of what we're creating and that will keep us on track and it will also help us continue to hone in on what we're actually doing to ourselves and why so bear with me as I go through this and I'm like I said I'm, I'm kind of thinking of you right in front of me and this is the questioning process I would take you through so you know, what does a successful punishment look like? And how will you know when you're done punishing yourself? I'm helping you define the structure of your punishment. And you may say it looks like a lot of different things. And that's okay. Well, let's just take one thing. Let's just take one time you punish yourself. What did you do? There's another basic question. What did you do to punish yourself? And that could be the inner dialogue. Um, maybe you... I don't know, maybe you hurt yourself, maybe you smack your hand on your forehead or whatever. Hopefully nothing more hurtful, but if you do, let's define it. Let's put it in the definition. Let's put it in that box and say, this is everything I do to punish myself. This is what it looks like. These are the components of punishing myself. And I know when I'm done punishing myself, 
when it looks like blank, when it looks like this. I'm trying to make you an expert on your own behavior. We will often do behavior that um, we won't define necessarily. We just do it. We don't define it. We just do it. If we don't define it, it actually can control us instead of us controlling it. It's sort of like saying, I want to go to the store. There are thousands of different ways I can get to the store. Well, maybe not thousands, but many ways I can get to the store. And um, if I don't tell you how, then I leave it wide open for interpretation. I want to go to the store um, using some, some mode of transportation. Still very ambiguous. I want to go to the store in a car. Okay, we're narrowing down. I want to go to the store in a car driven by my girlfriend. I know it's a weird way to, like, passive way to speak, but I want to go to the store with my girlfriend uh, who is driving the car, and um, I want to go to a specific store. So you can see I keep getting more and more detailed until I know the exact structure of my intention. I'm creating a structure of my intention so that if somebody were to look at this, they would know exactly what I was doing, how I was doing it, and when I was doing it, and who I was doing it with, and on and on. It sounds a little bit deeper than it needs to go, but I'm only doing this in relationship to a, a problem that you're dealing with. So this works on a lot of problems in your life. Any challenge that you're dealing with that you want to change about yourself. I like to define the structure, define the components, and also understand how to know when it is complete. This is why I'm asking you about punishment. When you punish yourself, how do you know you're done? How do you know it's complete? Did you miss any steps? Again, stupid questions, but it's helpful to know. It's helpful to know. So let's just say that you've defined all that. Well, I have negative inner dialogue and um, I do it for like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, but then I think about it throughout the day and I come back to it. And so uh, really, Paul, it's never finished. Okay, if it's never finished, then that's another issue. <laughs> if we continue to come back and repeat it over and over again in our head, then we probably don't have an appropriate structure defined. And that's why it's important to say, okay, how will I know when I have fully punished myself? A little strange. I mean, I don't want you to punish yourself, but you're already doing it, <laughs> this person who wrote. And if you're already doing it, let's just define it. So we define what that is. How will you know it's complete? When will you know it's complete? When will you know you're done? And, um, you know, write this stuff down. Think about it. Reflect on it. I'm not saying this is a magic pill. I'm just saying let's just get all the details about it. I mean, for one, it's going to keep you from dwelling in your own misery by using your brain for a while to figure out this logical issue. Okay, what's involved? What's components? When will I know it's done? And so on. And uh, when you do this, when you put it all together, you have a better understanding of what the process is that you go through to reach a point of upset that you might reach. This person who wrote, she gets to a point of crying and feeling like the worst person in the world and 
a lot that's involved with that. And that might be something you have to define too. You feel like the worst person in the world. Um, how do you know you're the worst person in the world? <laughs> Let's break that down or define that too. It sounds like so much work, even as I say it. But don't make it too much work. Just ask yourself these very basic questions. How do you know you're the worst person in the world? Um, if there was somebody worse, who would who would it be? <laughs> if they did something worse than that, what would it be? Uh, when you think about being the worst person in the world, who is defining that? Meaning, let's just say that you're the last person on earth. No one else exists. Are you still the worst person in the world? And you'll say, of course, I mean, I'm the only person in the world. But then you can't be the worst person if you have no one to compare it to because there's no one better or worse than you. So I might take you down that little strange side route uh, just to make sure that you're reflecting in a way that you understand that uh, being better or worse than anything or anyone is a comparison. So when you say I'm the worst person in the world, you have to be comparing yourself to someone else. And I can almost guarantee, before I even go any further, that uh, you are using someone else's comparison to define you. And that could be your dad, that could be a parent, that could be uh, a former relationship, somebody else, a family member, a f even a friend that turned on you or something, I don't know. But this is what happens. When we think we are the worst person or the worst thing or the worst whatever, we usually compare ourselves to somebody else. And who is that person we're comparing ourselves? And who is making that comparison if it isn't you? In, in other words, who has made that comparison before? These are probably a bit too abstract. They go outside the walls of what I'm talking about today, but I like to explore all these avenues to keep myself busy so I can understand exactly why I get upset. I want to know. I want to know all the bullet items, the components, the details of why I get upset. Instead of just allowing these chemicals to flow through me and create stress and anxiety and upset, I'm not going to let my body just do the work. I don't want my body to automatically create stress. I want to be in control of my stress. <laughs> I want to be in control of my anxiety. I want to be in control of any sadness I feel. I'm not always going to be. In fact, most of the time I won't be. But I want to do my best to understand every aspect of why I get and why I feel a certain way. Why am I feeling anxious right now? There we go. Let's visit that. Why am I feeling anxiety? What specifically is creating this anxiety? How do I know I feel anxious? What are the components that make up what makes me feel anxiety? Those are a lot of questions that you can start to understand why you get anxiety. And you know, sometimes it is purely chemical, but you know, it's my perception that when we can change how we process things, we can also change how we feel. It may be out of our control. It, we may just suddenly feel it. And then you'll say, I had no control over that. I know what that feels like. I had no control over that. It just came. But um, thoughts lead to emotions, lead to feelings, lead to a state of being. So I have a thought that leads to an emotion that leads to a feeling that leads to a state of being in the sense that 
um, my thought might be, oh, uh, my bank account looks pretty low right now. Now, I didn't have the emotion first. I had the thought. My bank account looks a little low. <gasps> the thought now leads to some emotion. Oof. That doesn't feel very good. It feels um, like despair, maybe. I'm feeling despair. I'm feeling worried. I'm feeling concerned. The thought leads to an emotion. You know, I'm having an emotion like um, sadness or despair. And that sadness and despair leads to a feeling in my body of um, anxiety. My stomach has butterflies. My chest is tightening. I have these feelings that I call anxiety or I call um, worry or concern or anything else. Those are my feelings that lead to a state of being, and here I am, anxious or upset in some way. I'm crying. There's a state of being I'm in. These aren't all an exact science, but that's typically the linear process of what happens. Your emotions come after thoughts. But when we have emotions all the time, it's hard to narrow down what thoughts we've had before them sometimes. So you might feel sad one day and uh, maybe not know why you were sad, even though you did have a, a fleeting thought come through that made you sad. Or you had a memory, which is also a thought, about something you talked about yesterday. And uh, that thought came into mind really quick and then left. I, I've done experiments with this myself where I thought, why did I just think of a cheeseburger? <laughs> I just I had this thought, I want a cheeseburger. And so I remember doing this. I was at a job site one day when I used to work on computers a long time ago. And I had this thought of uh, eating a cheeseburger. And I thought, okay, I'm having this thought because I must be hungry. But did I have that thought, I'm hungry, before I thought of the cheeseburger? And I said no. So I started retracing my steps and replaying things. And I went back to the area of the job I was working on. And I saw a can of Coke sitting on a shelf and as soon as I saw that can of coke I realized I want a cheeseburger and I didn't know that the thought of a cheeseburger came to mind when I saw the coke that thought just popped in my head so obviously I uh, made an association I used to drink a soda with a burger and that just sparked the memory it was an association in my mind so your brain associates all these memories and thoughts and that's what happened. So it wasn't just a new thought of cheeseburger. It was an associated thought from an external stimulus like that. So I started paying attention to all my thoughts throughout the day. They say we have 60,000. I don't think it's true. <laughs> I think actually I read like 20 or 30,000. But uh, I started paying attention to my thoughts and their origins. I also started paying attention to my emotions and their origins. And sometimes, yes, we can have a feeling before we have an emotion. Like I used to feel pain because of sciatic nerve issues. And that feeling of pain brought on sadness. I don't think I remember feeling sad before I felt pain. But boy, I felt sad after I felt the pain. So that can happen. That feeling, that physical feeling, which is a stimulus for the emotion, causes the emotion. And the external stimulus of seeing a can of soda caused an internal thought. And um, the only reason I'm telling you this is because I think it's helpful to understand 
that our thoughts and emotions and feelings and state of being have an origin. And when we know they have an origin, that means something came before. And this is where I'm taking this person, is that something came before the thought of you feeling like the worst person in the world. What makes you feel like the worst person in the world? Okay, this person lied, and now she uh, realizes that she lied to someone she loves and who trusts her, and she might feel like she's dishonoring that person and betraying the trust they have between each other. But she says she, she does this a lot. She takes things personally and really blows them up out of proportion, and now she's beating herself up. So one question I have about the origin is when did this start? When did you start believing you were the worst person in the world? When did you start comparing yourself to other people? Who compared you to other people? And, you know, when did that start? And I tell you what, and most of us know this already, but most of our beliefs about ourselves, especially if they're negative, come from our parents, our caretakers, or someone or something in our upbringing in some way, almost always childhood. You know, we have an imprinting period in childhood that if you are made to feel worthless during that imprinting period and beyond, then what ends up happening is you take that worthless feeling into your adult life and your adult relationships and you try to fulfill that worthless feeling so that you'll feel worthy. Problem is, the uh, person that you want to fulfill it may not exist anymore or may never have existed. Even if your mom and dad are alive and they are capable of doing it, but they don't, I see that as they don't exist to fill that worth, I mean. So the people that you want to fill what's missing in your life don't really exist, meaning you walk around unfulfilled. This is what can happen. I'm not saying that this is what you're stuck with, but this is what can happen, is that, um, or does happen often, is that what we didn't get in childhood, we try to fulfill when we're adults, and most of our dysfunctions come from not being able to fulfill what we want or need from who we really want or need them from. I probably didn't experience the amount of love and connection that I wanted to experience because my mom was too busy protecting us from my abusive alcoholic stepfather. And if she spent most of her time being that shield, then, um, you know, that is a very loving thing to protect her children. But as a child, I don't, I don't understand that. As a child, we don't understand our parents' behaviors if they're not loving us and nurturing us and supporting us and giving us attention. My mom was spending her time giving her husband, my stepfather, attention to keep him busy from hurting us. Didn't always work, <laughs> but she did her best. She did her best to keep him busy from hurting us in her own way. So I grew up uh, with, as you may know, a lot of dysfunctions, a lot of different things that I brought into my adult relationships and ruined them. My dysfunctions were hurtful to other people, and um, that took a long time to heal from or figure out and then heal from. But I, I was missing, that's one of the things I was missing from childhood. And so I was trying to 
control and manipulate other people so that I could fulfill that, what was missing. And when we spend our adult life trying to fulfill what was missing or what we needed in childhood, we end up uh, spending more time in emotional deficit and not uh, enough time in the present moment just uh, appreciating what is and enjoying who we have in front of us, if we can, you know, if they're enjoyable, uh, and more. You know, we, we miss out on the present because we're so stuck in the past. And that stuckness is trying to fulfill what was missing. It's our deficit. And we always feel like we're in de deficit when we do this. I spent a long time feeling like I was in deficit, which made me possessive, jealous, critical, judgmental. And I became a people pleaser because I was so afraid of confrontation. And there's a lot of little things, little nuances that we have about ourselves, or big ones, that uh, become dysfunctions or even toxic behavior. And so, uh, you know, coming back to this person's email, the reason I'm mentioning all this is because when you discover where these uh, behaviors started, even just beating yourself up, you know, we're not born beating ourselves up. We are taught that. We are conditioned to believe that we should do that. We are conditioned to believe things about ourselves that aren't true. We aren't born thinking that we're uh, worthless. We're born just experiencing the world for the first time and hoping everything works out. I mean, we're not thinking that as children, but looking back, I imagine my child self is just wondering what toy to play with next or when I'm going to get that cookie <laughs> or when I'm going to eat macaroni and cheese and chicken nuggets, which is still a delicacy in my life. <laughs> we don't think about what we need to fulfill as children. We just know when it's not being fulfilled because we feel it. And um, I don't know how much thought goes into that before we feel it as a child. Because a child, it might be in reverse. Like, uh, we're missing something. Uh, what am I missing? I don't know, but it doesn't feel right. I don't know how to articulate what I need, but I know it doesn't feel right. And even younger, when they're hungry, they don't know they're hungry, they just know it hurts. And then suddenly they're fed and, hey, it feels better. And so those are needs being fulfilled right away. But what about the ones that aren't? And this is what I'm talking about here, is that this person probably experienced needs that weren't fulfilled. And when you know what those needs are, uh, uh, something magical can happen. And, and this is basically where I'm taking you today is that it's going to be very helpful for you to know um, who taught you or how you became conditioned to believe that it was, first of all, okay to punish yourself. And second of all, the right thing to do, the right thing to do to, is to punish yourself. That just screams at me that somebody made you feel that punishment was how you learn. This is how you learn. If you don't learn, I'm going to punish you. What a terrible way to learn. What a terrible lesson to learn. Because it's not a healthy lesson at all. That became your conditioning. And so if you understand where that came from, like what makes you think it's the right thing to do to punish yourself, and you can explore your childhood and ask yourself, when did this start? And it might not have a memory of it. You might not know. You might just come up with an age. I remember feeling this way at 10 or 6 or 4, depending on how far back your memory goes. I think mine's 4. 
<laughs> I'm sure there's something earlier because I remember sitting in a kitchen sink as a child. So I think I was a lot younger than four then. But how far does it go back? When did this feeling start? When did these thoughts start? And then once you understand where they started, it can help you unravel or loosen the grip that some behaviors have on you today. So she punishes herself when she makes mistakes. Who punished you when you made mistakes as a child? Let's just say that your dad did. Your dad punished you when you made mistakes. Okay, was that a loving act? There's going to be differences of opinion here because some of you might say, well, yeah, it's, it's loving if somebody makes a big mistake. If your child makes a huge mistake, they need to be punished. That's maybe not the best way to reconcile that. Uh, a mistake is an accident. But if they did something on purpose, maybe I can look at discipline. But uh, again, this is my personal belief and my, my opinions. But I think when you think about mistakes, mistakes are made all the time by everyone. Some people hide them very well. <laughs> but we all make mistakes, but do we all punish ourselves? And that's what I'm thinking is that what about the people that don't punish themselves? Why? Why don't you punish yourself when you make a mistake? Let me ask myself that right now in real time because I don't punish myself. I may be, I may feel like an idiot, but I certainly don't think about hurtful words that I tell myself or I don't put myself down or I don't beat myself up the way you're describing. So let's just say I made a mistake. Um, I scratched my girlfriend's car. Ooh, big mistake. <laughs> that, would, that would not be good. But I come home and I say, look, I, I'm so sorry I scratched your car. I'm so sorry. I know you love it. And, you know, that would be me apologizing. I think the first place I go is uh, probably uh, maybe empathy. I, I feel like I, I might have to um, run some logistics in my mind first. Like, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. But it's not a punishment. It's a rethinking of what happened. I should have done this. And then I would feel bad because I affected my girlfriend who might see this scratch or dent and say, oh no, my car, <laughs> what did you do? She might see that and feel that way. Probably not, but let's just say that's how it went. She came out and saw that. So all of this stuff runs through my mind. And maybe with you, what runs through your mind is somebody pointing the finger at you. You're bad, you're terrible. You're awful. What runs through my mind when I think of this is not my girlfriend saying, you're bad, you're terrible, you're awful. It's just, um, I think she would understand it was a mistake. So this might be a difference in how you see yourself and how you see your mistakes is that you might have a picture in your mind of somebody looking at you or pointing at you saying, you're bad for making that mistake. And if that's the case, who is it? <laughs> who is that person in your mind pointing at you? And you're not allowed to say, it's me. It's me pointing at me because there's no way you were born and taught in your own mind to point at yourself when you make mistakes. There must have been some sort of consequence for something you did. Oh no, I spilled the milk. Now I'm getting you know, smacked in the butt thinking as a child, you know, oh no, I spilled the milk. They're going to kill me. And then you get smacked. And then you grow up thinking, wow, spilling the milk 
is terrible. I better not do that because that is a big consequence and it's painful. So now you have an association just like my can of soda that I saw and a cheeseburger that came to my mind. You have this association like when I make a mistake, I get punished. Wait, there's no one there to punish me. I better do it myself. Hmm, you are replacing someone else punishing you by you punishing you because maybe you think that's the right thing to do. But where does it lead? What is the outcome for self-punishment? I know I'm really dancing around the main point and the main topic of your of your question and the person who wrote, but I think it's important to think this way because we place so much emphasis on uh, what not to do. Like, I just got to stop this. I just got to stop doing it. If you say that, it's so hard to stop. Like the smoker saying, I just got to stop. Okay, what's your reason? Your reason has to be big enough to override your desire. Your reason to stop smoking, if you're a smoker, has to be big enough to override your desire to smoke. And that's very difficult for a lot of people. So your reason to stop punishing yourself has to be bigger, big enough to override yourself from punishing yourself, (laughs) if that makes sense. Meaning you have to come up with a good, solid reason to not punish yourself. And I think that's something we need to talk about. I think something we need to really dive into. So right after this, we'll dive into that. Be right back. I want you to do is not get stuck trying to figure out your problems, trying to stop punishing yourself. How about that? We're just talking about punishing ourselves for mistakes that we made when we should just be easy on ourselves. But sometimes it's hard to do. Even listening to this episode, you might still think, I can't stop doing it. Well, that's why I bring on services like our sponsor today, BetterHelp. BetterHelp can help you learn how to find your own solutions. I remember being depressed in my 20s and I finally went to therapy and just after a few sessions I felt so much better. I felt like I could actually move past what was holding me back and I was able to stop focusing on the past and start moving forward and feeling happy again. When I needed therapy it wasn't as accessible because of many factors. You know, First I, I felt like this stigma, second it was expensive for me and third I had to go make an appointment and I had some social anxiety on that so but now BetterHelp is such a great option it's convenient it's accessible it's affordable they have a whole team of therapists that are there to help you with your specific issues so if you can't find one that works for you you just ask for another one and the process is easy it's seamless I've completely vetted this company and I recommend them and this is why I'm telling you about it today so I want you to go to BetterHelp. That's two words, betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com, forward slash brain, and you'll get 10% off your first month. What a great thing you can do for yourself is to have somebody help you solve your own problem, and therapy gets you there. So this is where BetterHelp comes in. Again, go to betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com, forward slash brain today, and get 10% off your first month. 
Welcome back. Like I started to say before the break, uh, we need to come up with a good reason to not punish ourselves. It sounds weird, me even saying that, but yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> and um, there are probably a lot of reasons that you can come up to stop punishing yourself. And you might think, yeah, but that won't work. I always do. Well, come up with a compelling reason to stop punishing yourself and make sure it's something that you would rather feel. So you come up with a compelling reason to stop punishing yourself for making mistakes and make sure it's something that you absolutely want to feel. In other words, let me make this in English. <laughs> you might say, I want to stop punishing myself because I would rather feel okay having made the mistake and even a little silly because we can say, oh, I'm so silly, I shouldn't have done that. Or uh, just allow myself to make the mistake and realize that, hey, everyone makes mistakes. So that would feel uh, definitely not like a form of punishment, but almost a form of love. I'm going to give myself a break and allow myself to have made this mistake and be okay that I made it because I would rather feel that way. Now, that's not what I'm telling you to do. I wish I could just say that and that would happen. But what I'm asking you to do is give yourself a compelling reason that's more important that overrides your, I don't want to say desire, but your natural inclination to punish yourself. And what is that compelling reason? Well, the reason is what? If that's still a little abstract for you, the, the way I would look at it is, the reason is because when I punish myself, that's all I can think about all day, and I am not present for the people that are right in front of me, the people I love and my job, and I just keep thinking about it. So to me, a good reason would be, it helps me get past it and move forward instead of looking in the rearview mirror. And if I'm not looking in the rearview mirror and I'm looking forward, then I'm progressing. I'm being productive. I feel better about myself. So my reason is that I want to feel better about myself and not continue being stuck in the past. But how do I apply that reason to what I do now? So if I punish myself now, and the reason I shouldn't punish myself or I want to stop punishing myself is so that I'll feel good, how do I transform that into um, stopping the behavior altogether. And I think the way I would approach it is uh, more of a self-parenting method of compassion, love, um, support, and forgiveness. So if I do self-parenting, that means self-compassion, self-love, self-care, self-support, self-forgiveness. And uh, what does that look like? It looks like what you want it to look like if the person who didn't give you these things did, but you become that person. That's all that self-parenting is, is, is when you become the person that you needed at the time you needed it. And so for me, I look at that as uh, I'm a child, I spill milk, and my raging father comes out. You know, this didn't happen, but I'm making it up. This, my raging father comes out and he says, what the hell are you doing? This is a new carpet and we just bought those glasses and we don't have much money. You're a bad kid. Bender, I'm going to smack you in the butt. 
That's pretty harsh for a child to go through this. That's a huge punishment. That's not really discipline at all. That's a father needs to take a chill pill here, but this is what happens sometimes. I mean, I've I've been whipped by a belt before. I know what it feels like. But this can and does happen in a lot of people's pasts. So let's just say this happened to me. And um, I got disciplined. I got punished. And so at that moment, what do I really need as a child? What, what does my child self need in that moment? I think the first thing that comes to mind is understanding. You know, I'm thinking about this from the adult perspective because I don't really know what I need as a child. I just know that uh, I'm in trouble. And I'm not even sure why this is wrong, but apparently it is, depending on how young you are. And so I have all these uh, feelings and I'm afraid because I know I can see my dad's face and now he's reaching for his belt or whatever and he's about to hurt me. Wow, what else do I need? Understanding. I want maybe um, a hug. I want maybe some words like, hey, you know what? This happens. Don't worry about it. You know, try not to do it again, but try not to worry about it. It's okay. Because by then I'd probably be crying. And then he would hug me and I would feel so supported, so loved. He would bring me into his arms. He would pick me up and he would say, it's okay. Don't worry about it. You know what? You're going to have accidents like this. It's going to happen. I still do this today. I've spilled drinks before. It's no big deal. I don't want you to get hurt because the glass is broken. So let's just, um, you stand over there while I pick this up or you go see mommy or wherever, you know, I'll send myself somewhere. <laughs> I'm self-parenting now. And I'm going to show myself compassion and love and care and support. All the things that I didn't feel in a moment like that. I'm going to change my history. I'm going to change what happened in my mind in a way. It's technically what I'm doing. I'm going to a past event that created a need. That past event created a need that wasn't fulfilled that I find myself trying to fulfill today. And I'm going to remember that event and ask myself, what did I need? You know, this is all inner child work, inner child work 101. And uh, you go back and you give that child what they need so that they build stronger, healthy resources instead of uh, having a gap that needs filled for the rest of their life. And when you are able to fill that gap or fill that need, and you do this in yourself, today. You say, you know what? I love you. It's okay. We all make mistakes. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Don't worry about it. You know what? I made a mistake yesterday. I'm going to make mistakes tomorrow. You're going to do the same things. It's just going to happen. We try not to, but that's why they're called mistakes. We're going to mess up. And even when we try hard not to mess up, it's still going to happen. I love you. I care about you. I want you to know that no matter how bad it gets, I'm still here to love you and show you that you are worthy. You are important. You deserve love. You deserve care. You deserve support. And even when you make a mistake, I still love you just as much. So that's where I go with this. Sometimes you have to think about these past events and fulfill what wasn't fulfilled back then so that you don't feel like beating yourself up today. And I, again, this may not be a solution. This may not be a magic pill for you. This is like one part of so much more I could explore here. But I think that's a very important part. 
this is a very important part of the process of healing these thoughts and feelings that you're having today, knowing that we do all make mistakes and there's not much you can do about it. It's going to happen. And you're either going to be a perfectionist and continue to beat yourself up and try to control things and make sure that you never, ever make a mistake, or you're going to allow them to happen and know that even if they happen, they don't define who you are. They don't make you good or bad. They make you normal. They make you healthy because you actually identify your mistakes and you're not like uh, a sociopath and they don't care if they make mistakes because they don't think they do. <laughs> they don't think that anything they do is wrong. They never take responsibility for anything they do. If anything, you're probably a little overly compassionate and overly empathetic that you think you're hurting someone else by the mistakes that you're making, which, you know, we do. We hurt other people, but we shouldn't take it to the point where we are hurt more than they are. And that's what you're describing and maybe asking me, how do I stop doing this? And I hope something I'm sharing today helps you get to a better place inside yourself instead of going to a place that even these other people don't go to. Like when I make a mistake in my relationship and my girlfriend gets upset at me, um, I could see myself becoming just as upset at myself, just like you are, because I never wanted to hurt her. But at the same time, I'm also ready to forgive myself because I mean it. And this is the last place I want to take you. And uh, I've talked about this very recently on another episode, forgiving yourself because you're not perfect. So you have to be forgiving. You have to be self-forgiving. You have to tell yourself, I forgive myself a break for the way I showed up because I love myself. I care about myself. I support myself. I'm giving myself what I need because maybe I didn't get that when I was younger because I have some old program or old conditioning or old beliefs that are still rolling around in my head making me think that I'm less than I really am. You are so much more than you think you are. And if you think you're great, then that message isn't for you. <laughs> but this person, you are so much more than you think you are. So remember that too. If you have a gap in your life right now that you think that you're not better than you think you are, then just fill that gap now. You just take it from me. You just have to believe me. <laughs> you are better than you think you are. And if you already think you're great, like I said, this message isn't for you. But the person who wrote, uh, you make mistakes. I make mistakes. We all make mistakes. One of the things, just going to end it right here with this last comment. One of the things I started doing, because I used to be a perfectionist, uh, was purposely um, leave things unmet, unmade, undone. If the garbage was full and I'm used to taking it out when it's full, how about I let it stack? <laughs> I know that's unhealthy, but let's just say it was something like that, or dishes even. How about instead of washing the dishes every single day to make sure everything's spotless, I leave the dishes out for one day. One whole day, the dishes don't get cleaned. And then every time I walk in the kitchen, oh, there are those dirty dishes. But I'm letting myself do it. I'm allowing it to happen. Because, I mean, this is the only reason I would do it. The, the reason that I'm going to do it is because I want to find out what happens if I don't. So if I don't wash the dishes, what will happen? They'll be there the next day. Wow, that's crazy. That's so 
insane. What am I going to do about that? Well, how is that a bad thing? How is it a bad thing? How is it a bad thing to leave the dishes for an extra day? Well, so-and-so might yell at me. That's a different story. (laughs) That's continuous punishment from outside of yourself. I'm not talking about that. If that's happening, that's an entirely different show. So-and-so yells at you. What? What's that mean? They don't want to do the dishes themselves? No. Let's just not visit that right now. But the point is you purposefully do something that you might consider a mistake. Now, I don't mean lie, like this person wrote. She lied. That's a mistake, but you can get past that by A, forgiving yourself, and B, apologizing, and C, mean it, really mean it, and D, promising never to do it again, ever. That's it. Forgive yourself, apologize, don't ask for forgiveness, because that expects something from them. You already took something from them with a betrayal of a lie, so you forgive yourself, all part of self-compassion, you apologize to them, you mean it, and then you promise never to do it again. And you don't even have to promise to them, but it might be helpful. Oh, I promise I'll never do that again. But you have to promise to yourself, and that means commitment to yourself, self-commitment. You know, self-love, self-compassion, self-support, self-commitment. Add that to your self-X list. (laughs) Self-what? Self-commitment. If you commit to yourself, you start to trust yourself more and more, and you start to reinforce that, hey, I am a great person because I made this commitment to myself and I followed through. This is another way of self-parenting, except really you're just doing it in real time as an adult to yourself. You know what? I'm going to commit to this and I'm going to follow through. That's one of my um, methods of becoming a better decision maker. I'm going to commit to this decision and I'm going to follow through. But what if I'm wrong? Well, you can stay in what if all you want, or you can commit to the decision and follow through and discover if you're wrong or not. That's so risky. Yes, (laughs) it can be risky. You need to take risks sometimes to get past these hurdles in life. And one of the hurdles might be, I beat myself up when I make a mistake. Well, you might have to make the mistake. You might have to do it on purpose. You might have to put yourself in a position where you find out what happens after you spill the milk. How bad is it really? Again, the lie is a little different. That's a betrayal on another person, but you have to go through those steps. Self-forgiveness, apology, mean it, and promise to never do it again. Go through those steps because you have to get to that point. If you mean it, there's no reason to revisit it. There's no reason to revisit something that you mean. And, of course, you promise never to do it again. If it never happens again, there's never a reason to revisit it. The only problem might be is that you think you might do it again, which is why you have to practice self-commitment. I made this commitment. I'm going to follow through. This is where you start to trust yourself. I could just open another Pandora's box here and go wild with this topic. It can go anywhere. But um, I hope I've given you enough to work on and work through in yourself today because there's a lot. There's a lot involved here. And if you haven't listened to the last nine years of my show, (laughs) this is the time to go back and peruse through the titles and find out which ones apply to you so that uh, you can get past this. As a person who wrote, if you still have an issue with this, look for the episodes on self-worth and self-esteem and um, even ego. 
because sometimes we are so down in the dumps and lacking pride in ourselves that we actually beat ourselves up that we may not have enough healthy ego. Another box I'm not going to open today, but I do believe that we should have at least enough ego to override the feelings of low self-worth and low self-esteem. We kind of have to balance it out with enough ego. Because I like to say, hey, you know what? I'm a great guy. I like to say it. You know, I'll leave, I'll leave it for everyone else to decide if that's true or not. But I think it's so important that you have to believe something great about yourself. You have to. Because often when you don't, it was never instilled in you when you were younger. And that's it. You got to fill it yourself. You got to do it yourself and believe it. Or at least take a step in the direction of believing yourself. Because you wouldn't be here trying to improve yourself unless you weren't great. Period. Greatness comes from wanting to improve yourself. You know, that's one place from which greatness comes. Greatness comes from wanting to improve yourself. And if you show up better tomorrow than you were today, you're great. So you just keep working on that. You keep working on that journey toward greatness, taking steps toward greatness. And never, ever be afraid to say, I'm great. <laughs> and that's not a denial statement. You don't say, uh, I'm great, and deny all the bad feelings you have. You say, no, no, this is just a fact. It's true. I'm great. Hey, I'm great. <laughs> Again, another box to open on another day. Uh, check out my episodes at theoverwhelmedbrain.com, and you will find some helpful subject matter there. Thanks for joining me for another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. We'll be right back with my thank yous and my goodbyes and my final words right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank our financial backers today. I call them the patrons of the week. Somalia, Brian, Paige, Stephen, Kamal, Donald, Kamal, Donald, Daisy. Thank you so much. And uh, Mary, I think she sent a donation. Thank you so much, Mary. And these are the uh, patrons that uh, joined the patron program or decided to offer a single or monthly donation. And I am very grateful, very heartwarming to read your names every week. There's new names every week, and um, I'm just appreciative of all the patrons that support the program. If you find value in this show and you'd like to give back too, head over to moretob.com, and there are options to do that as well. And uh, I have like 100 episodes over there as well. There's a, a patron site that if you join it, you'll get to hear those episodes too. I never played them anywhere else, so uh, you might find some interesting subject matter there that you can take a listen, see if it's anything you need. Thank you again, patrons. I appreciate each and every one of you, and uh, I'm grateful. And if you want to show on um, dealing with the difficult relationship, you heard me say it at the very beginning of the episode, visit loveandabuse.com, and I help you answer a lot of questions over there and uh, hopefully help you find your way back to sanity if you are scratching your head or going crazy because you can't figure out how to communicate with a certain person or people in your life. That's over at loveandabuse.com. And if you are the difficult one, making it difficult for someone else or even hurting someone you care about, someone you love, head over to healedbeing.com. And I have a, a, a robust program that really breaks apart the behaviors 
uh, the coping mechanisms, your emotional triggers that uh, make you do things that you probably don't want to do, head over to healedbeing.com. And this person wrote a message to me and said, I'm a big fan. I've only been into podcasts for about a year and a half or a year, and I've listened to more of yours than any other. I wanted to share good news based on one of your recent podcasts. You suggested that we sometimes need to enter into someone else's alternate reality, namely sufferers of Alzheimer's and people who can't admit they're wrong. I adapted this a bit with my uncle, who's in his 80s, and he's a great man, but he has a way of absolving himself when certain things don't go well. I used to get very annoyed when taking blame I don't deserve, but by applying your approach and just let it go that that's the way he sees it, it helps. So thank you. You're welcome. Thanks so much for sharing that. The person who wrote is talking about um, an episode I did, or maybe a few episodes I did, where I talked about entering someone's reality when you just can't see eye to eye, especially with um, people with dementia or Alzheimer's, where they start saying things that aren't true, or they can't recognize you, or they call you somebody else. The very, very difficult position to be in where somebody you love and you've known for maybe all your life doesn't even recognize you or they call you somebody that you're not or they get mad at you and you're you don't know why because you know they have this uh, uh, disease or whatever so what I suggest is instead of fighting that and saying don't you remember me don't you remember that we did this don't you remember I was just here 10 minutes ago or in this person's case they had an uncle that um, probably just blamed this person for everything or didn't want to take responsibility. And you can't get through to some people uh, either because of a disease or because they are just stubborn or they are not the kind of person that likes to admit fault or take responsibility. There's all kinds of people out there. And I always like to go to a place of, is it worth it? (laughs) I like to ask myself, is it worth having this conversation, trying to convince them. Has it ever worked before? Is trying to convince this person, has that ever worked before? Because if it has, then maybe there's a chance. But if it hasn't, it might just be time to let go of trying to convince them of anything and maybe just enter their model of reality, enter their model of the world, and just be okay with their reality even if you don't like it, if you don't agree with it, because certain people, they will not make your life easier. In fact, they will probably make your life a lot harder if you decide to oppose them, go against them, can uh, continue to argue with them. And if you have to see this person over and over again, what's the point? If arguing with them always leads to bad blood or giving you a bad feeling, What would happen if you just said, huh, their reality is this. I'm just going to enter their reality and go along with it. I know what you're thinking. Some people don't deserve that. They're completely wrong. I know, I know. But, you know, that's why I mix in disease like Alzheimer's and dementia and things like that. Is that some people, they can't help it. That's what's happening. And what do you do then? They can't help it. So sometimes it's helpful to say, you're right. You're right. You know, this is the reality they're having and I'm with you. Sometimes it's easier just to say their reality is what they believe and it's not worth uh, getting into any argument about it. And in fact, when you have somebody with a disease or something like that, that they can't remember or their memory is fading, then it actually might even be helpful 
to allow them to believe certain things. Not always. I'm not saying that if they believe the room's on fire, then it's probably not helpful to say, you're right, the room's on fire. But maybe, maybe if you whip out a fire extinguisher and pretend to put it out, they might believe it. And what does that do? I'm not giving you any advice regarding this. I'm not saying that this is what you should do. I'm saying this is how I would do it. This is what I think because some people, you, you're you not going to get them to see reality. You're not going to get them to see it. And unless you have a stake in them believing you and agreeing with you, then maybe it's not worth it. You know what I mean by that? It's like um, if they don't agree with you, it affects you know your parents' will or something and they're not going to sign certain paperwork or whatever. You know, If it's a legal thing, then you might have a different story. But if there's really no consequence to them believing something or not or seeing your way or not, and it's just your ego or it's just you can't stand that somebody can't see the truth, then you might have to just take a step back and think, is it really worth trying to convince them of anything, trying to see the reality of the situation? Is it worth it? Because what do you get in the end? What is the outcome? If you've fought with them before and argued with them before and it worked out for you, okay, great. I'm not going to tell you not to do that. But if um, you fought with them before and you argued with them before and it turned out terrible and you both left with bad feelings, sometimes it's just allowing them to live their reality the way they want and saying, hey, you know what? You're right. Great. You're right. Because how does it really affect you? If it doesn't really affect you long term or doesn't affect your life and there's no legality issue and it really doesn't affect the world in the, in the big picture, then who cares? Let them be right. Who cares? I know. It doesn't work with every situation. Don't write to me and say, no, it doesn't work. No, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. It doesn't work with every situation. But sometimes it's really not worth it. So that's all I'm saying. Thank you so much for this person who wrote and said that. I'm so glad uh, you did that. You might actually be able to get along with the person. And uh, one of the things that can happen, let me just add this near the end here. Uh, one of the things that can happen when you enter someone else's reality and start going along with it is they finally might be able to start questioning themselves about their own reality. This doesn't happen often, but it does happen. Meaning, um, let's just say that somebody came to you and said, I got abducted by a UFO and you didn't believe it. I got abducted by a UFO and you're thinking, that's ridiculous. When was this? It was last night, but I was with you last night. Yeah, but I went to bed and then I don't remember the, the eight hours I was asleep. So I must have gotten abducted. <laughs> and uh, You say, that's impossible. And they know it's true. And, are, and you're thinking, that's impossible. You know, stop lying to me. You might say that. Or you're being ridiculous. Or you just dreamed it. So you are opposing their reality and they believe it. And now what? Now you have somebody who really believes they were abducted and you don't. What happens next? Well, does the friendship continue or family or whoever it is? Do you continue talking with them? Is it always a subject of conversation? The more you resist someone's reality, the more that reality typically persists. This is just like what you resist persists and amplifies. If you resist somebody who's trying to convince you of something, they are more likely to stick to their guns and give you that story over and over again and even amplify it. I know it's true. I know it's true. 
And then one day you say, you know what? I think I was uh, too quick to judge. And maybe you're right. Maybe that night you were asleep, you were right. I want to believe you and I'm going to believe you. How about that? I'm going to say that you were right. And now I'm worried because if there are aliens out there abducting people, what does that mean for me? And you start showing real concern. I'm not saying manipulate and be deceptive. I mean, I'm just play play along with them. Maybe, who knows? You never know. <laughs> Maybe it's happening. I don't know. But you just enter their reality. Okay, you know what? Maybe you're right. I'm so sorry. I didn't believe you before. Now, what do they have to argue about? They don't have anything to um, defend or convince. That part of your conversation is gone. And when you remove that, from the equation, from your communication. When you remove that, other thought processes start to happen because they had their defensive walls up before, and as long as those defensive walls are up, they have a mission. They have a purpose to convince you and to stay with that person, stick with it. But if you enter their model of reality, like I said, there's a possibility that they would finally start questioning themselves because they're not so darn focused on trying to convince you of anything. Once you are no longer in that space of um, needing to be convinced and you're on board with them, then they can start questioning. This is not true with everything, but with some people it can be. It can be true. So they might say, you know, after you left that night, because now they're open to talking about it, they're not afraid of you not believing them, they start to be more open about it, and they talk about it more, and they bring out details that maybe they didn't remember, or they just start being more verbose about it. And they say something like, you know, after you left, it was around 11, 11.30, uh, and I started to go to sleep, I heard this noise, and you're thinking, oh my God, tell me more, because <laughs> you're in their model of reality. Well, I heard this noise, and then... You know, I started to fall asleep, but I think that was their ray gun. I think they put me to sleep. And you say, no way. That's crazy. Oh, my God. I can't believe that happened to you. You know, you're still, you're still with them. And then they say something like, you know, but I don't remember. You know, I think my alarm was going off, too. And I, I was wondering why it was going off. And I think it popped me out of a sleep. And I remember waking up and turning my alarm off. But then I went right back to sleep. And so what they do is they're starting to bring out little details that um, they would not normally have visited because now they have someone to listen to them. And that listening opens them up to start uh, giving them the opportunity to reassess and reflect on what they went through and what they believe uh, to start questioning themselves. And that self-questioning, that self-reflection might start to instill a little doubt that it was true. And I'm not saying that this person didn't get abducted, you know, my example scenario here, but let's just say that they really didn't get abducted by aliens. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't true. And they just believed it was. If that self-doubt starts to linger in, first of all, the doubt's not coming from you, so there's no resistance. Second of all, that doubt, if it comes from themselves... You know, maybe I was asleep or maybe I was watching TV. I did watch that movie before bed. Hmm. If that self-doubt starts to kick in on their own, they'll start to maybe convince themselves that uh, what they thought was true isn't true. But that might not happen if there is resistance from the other person. If, you know, if you are the resistor, 
they might not ever go into that space of self-doubt because what takes priority is defending themselves and convincing you. But once you take that off the table, now there's an opportunity that they might actually start to reassess and reflect on what they believe. Just a little final thought for today's episode, if it helps at all, but I wanted to comment on that uh, person's email and thank them for writing. And I'm so glad that uh, what I said helped you in that situation. I hope it continues to help you. And uh, I'm not saying that you should just automatically tell people you believe anything they say. I'm just saying sometimes some people are impossible to deal with and you want a new way to communicate and a new way to just get through the hours that you might have to spend with them. Just one of many ways that you could do that. Thanks so much. And thanks so much for listening to another episode of this show. I appreciate you. Always keep an open mind. That's how you can step into your power so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing.